For those of you that are wondering who I am, I'm Pastor Matt's son. <clears throat> we look alike, don't we? And we're so glad you're here. It's kind of Thanksgiving weekend. We're just going to continue in the flow of the text of 1 Peter. You know, Peter has been telling us the amazing things that Jesus has done for us in salvation. It's kind of like a fireworks display in earlier verses, and pastors unpack that, and it's been beautiful just to see all that Jesus has done for us in the revelation of who he is by his grace. And so we're just going to continue that today because Peter's going to write about holiness. And Pastor uh, mentioned this verse last week, but back then to verse 14, he talked about the things that we don't do. We don't follow after our fleshly desires. We're only satisfied in Jesus Christ. So that is what you don't do. We looked at that last week as Pastor shared that in verse 14. And it was in the command form. So this week in verse 15 and 16, Paul, uh, Peter, t- I'm used to teaching the book of Ephesians. Peter tells us to uh, be holy. Now, it's not a suggestion. It's not an optional extra in your spiritual walk. This is in the command form. He says, don't do this. Because this is who you used to be. Jesus took you out of life before him and put you into life with him. There's no reason for you to act like you used to act because Jesus will never take you from something uh, and make it worse for you. He's going to make it better for you. So you used to live after your flesh and the desires of your flesh. But now that you're in Jesus Christ, you yield to him. So don't do this. That's a command form, but do this. And the only way you can follow a command form is realizing the one who gives you the command. The power's in Christ who now lives in me. Holiness is in you if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. See, we think about holiness as what you dress like and and all these things. It depended on your journey with church. But holiness is really who you are in Jesus Christ. Pastor talked about that last week. It's our identity. But not only is it who we are, it's whose we are. And if we can live out our identity in activity, then we understand positional holiness and practical holiness. And that's what Peter's going to talk about today. Lots of people got positional holiness down. Jesus is holy. He has deposited his holy life in me. But they're mean as all get out. Because not here. Other churches. Because they're walking in their flesh. Jesus has deposited his beautiful life inside of us by grace. We don't deserve it. And because he's done that, he doesn't want to take some of our life. He takes all of our lives and he begins to manifest his power and his presence. So our positional practice of who we are positionally in Jesus Christ is now practically lived out in identity and activity so that the world can see that we're different. And it only comes by the power of of Christ. Let me see if I can explain it to you like this. You're your mother's child, positionally. You were born into uh, a family, and positionally, you're always going to be your mother's child. But sometimes you didn't act like your mother's child. When you began to do things in the store that weren't in relationship to what the standard was that your mother or your father... I've seen some dads take over at Walmart. Mom couldn't... I've seen some dads come in and take over. (laughs) But, you know, a child positionally will always be a mother's child. But practically, 
when you don't live out the standard that they set. Here's what I want you to understand. The, the standard was set by the parents. It's because of who they are, not because of who the child is. So the idea in what Peter is telling us is the standard is set by God Almighty. I want you to understand this. God is holy. He is so holy. And whatever you think about holiness, he's far more holy than what you and I can think about. He's far more pure than what you think pure is. He is perfectly pure and perfectly powerful and perfectly has no debris or no imperfection. He is holy. He is holy unto himself and for himself. And he is the one that sets the standard, not us. Now listen very carefully. We live in a culture that wants to tell us that the standard has changed, that the line has changed. So Peter is telling us the line hasn't changed. And I want you to understand this, that salvation is this. I want you to look at the text. Let's read it first. <clears throat> Peter says this, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. I'd like for you, if you're okay writing in your Bible and you're not a legalist, circle the word all. It means all of your conduct. We call things a mistake. God calls it sin. Oh, I made a mistake. No, you didn't. You sinned. You walked in your flesh. I walked in my flesh. We didn't yield to the power that was in us. He says, be holy in all of your conduct. Now, how in the world are you going to do that? Here's what he says. Because it is written in the word. Be holy for I am holy. I want you to notice in verse 15, the first thing it says, but he who has called you. But he who has called you, that's a conjunctive. It ties together what Peter's been saying. So Peter's telling us all that we have in Jesus Christ. And because of the power that we have in Jesus Christ, watch this carefully. The power that we have, he has saved us by his grace. So we don't have to yield to the flesh. We can now yield to the spirit who lives in us. So when we're walking in holiness, and we're called to holiness, not only are you and I called to salvation, we are called to live a life that is holy. Calling is really, really important. And a calling only happens when you respond to the revelation of Jesus by faith, and you put your faith into him who is a person. That's the call of God. And so many of you have answered the call of God in your life through Jesus Christ, because you've received the free gift of salvation. But notice what the text says. It says, but he who calls you is holy. So the call of God in salvation is this. First of all, the call of God is Christ dwells in you. When Christ comes into your life, he dwells in you. The second thing is the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. So in salvation, Christ is the person of salvation, but the Holy Spirit is the power of salvation. Christ the person comes to live in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Christ is the person of salvation. The Holy Spirit is the power of salvation. So God calls us to live a life that's holy. He calls us to do something that he is. So the image of Christ, here's what you have to understand. God calls us to be in the image of Christ, and then he sends his Holy Spirit to form us and make us in the image of Christ. That's how it works. You can't do this on your own. I've tried. Have you tried to be holy this week? Oh, I'm never going to have another bad thought. How long did that last? You were at breakfast, weren't you? No, you were just getting out of bed. 
See, the problem with most people is they don't understand the gift of salvation. They don't understand the calling of salvation. It's a calling not only to salvation, it's a calling to sanctification and a holy life. So God calls us in Christ to be formed in the image of Christ, and he shapes us in the image of Christ. So God calls us to be, and then he gives us the power to be. God calls us to live, listen carefully, and then he gives us the power to live. Do you see what Peter's doing here? Peter is talking about this great salvation that's like a fireworks display of grace and mercy of who Jesus is in our life. But he who has called you. So you really have to answer this call. The call is really, really important. And here's what happens to a lot of people. We jump from the call of salvation and we skip over the sanctification part and then we start serving. So we get saved when you trust Jesus as your Savior, you put your faith into Him. And the church tells you this, and, and we believe this, that there's nothing you can do to be saved. There's nothing you bring to the table. You just put your faith into Him. Jesus Christ has done it all, and that's true. And here's what we do as a churches. Not this one, but churches. We tell you, now you got to serve. Now you got to find your place of service. you got to get in there, and you got to serve. Now wait a minute. You don't jump over sanctification. When a person comes into a new relationship with Jesus Christ, they need to understand that holiness lives in them. They need to understand that they are sanctified, set apart, holified to service for God. But they have to understand that their activity is lived out in their identity. And so you don't get someone just to work. You get someone to understand who and who they are in Jesus Christ. And so we have people serving all across America in churches that have no business serving because they jumped over from salvation to service and they forgot what it means to live a holy life. And they're serving out of their flesh and they're responding to all kinds of calls. Hey, there's empty classrooms. I'll serve, I'll serve. Listen, a need doesn't constitute a call in your life or mine. The only thing that constitutes a call in my life and your life is Jesus Christ. He's the one that directs us. So be careful that you haven't jumped over into service without understanding sanctification because you can't serve out of your flesh. You can't serve with the energy and the power of Jesus if you're working out of the flesh. You have to understand who lives in you. So positionally, Christ has come in. Now, practically, his power is working in my life. So when I serve in the children's ministry or when I serve in the student ministry, it's not my power or it's not my flesh. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory, who now releases his life through me. And now Jesus begins to do a work of sanctification in me. And I realize that it's his power that's doing the work. So I step back and go, go God, you do it. And you say, oh, it sounds like you're under grace. Oh, I am. And write this down. Grace is not the power to do as you please. It's the power to do as you should. God's grace has never given me the freedom to license to sin. It's God's grace that calls me and compels me into holiness. That's what Peter's saying here. Look at the text. But as he who has called you, have you been called? Have you answered the call and received all that Jesus has for you in his beautiful life? He died for you. He resurrected for you. And he wants to live his life in and through you. And so there is a line of holiness. There's a demarcation. There's a line that was set before the foundation of the world. And God set the line down from heaven. And he says, here's the line of demarcation. I am so holy 
and so set apart from you. And here's man's sinfulness over here. God's line of demarcation, he's holy. And here's the line of sin. Here's what we do. We move the line. We move the line and we say, God, you're holy, but however... I understand what your line is. I understand that you're pure. I understand that you're inherently pure. And I understand that you've imputed righteousness to me. However, there's a line here of your demarcation. And I want to know how far is too far in my dating life in order to get to the line where I don't sin. When you start thinking that way, you don't understand anything about God's holiness. You're not concerned about the line. You're concerned about him. You're not concerned. You're saying, well, what, how far is too far? Let me tell you how far is too far. Too far is when you don't hear from God, when you just trust him. You don't do anything that breaks his heart because the holiness of God that lives in me doesn't want to be dragged into a situation where there's sexual immorality. Flee from all that. That's what Paul says in Ephesians, and he says it also in Thessalonians. Be holy and abstain from sexual immorality. And people want to say, but the line, where's the line? That's the line. I just said what the line is. I just said what God said. God said, don't do it. Now, how are you not going to do it and cross the line? Only by his power. Only by his grace. So there's a line. Listen, I want to tell you, Sage, there's a line today. And the culture just moves the line. And we want to go, well, where's the line? Let me tell you, God's line doesn't move. Listen carefully. God's line never moves. It's handed by, down by him. He's the standard. And so it's not a line that you vote on. See, it's a line. Well, I want to make a motion that we vote on the line. Forget your motion. There is no second to the motion. There is no all in favor say aye. It's God's line. It's a theocracy, not a democracy. You don't decide the line and I don't decide the line. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. God says, I am so set apart and I am so holy and I am calling you to live a holy life. The only way you can live a life of holiness is understand that I'm the one that put the line down and you surrender to me. That's what he's saying here. He calls us with an understanding to live in his sufficiency, not our sufficiency. Verse 15 says, be holy for he is holy. Holiness is all about God. It kind of blows my mind when I think about and ponder the concept of holiness. I'm kind of drawn to it and then I tend to run back in shame and run away from it. And I realize the more I try to be in the image of Jesus Christ in my own power, I can't get there. But the more I see of him, the more I want of him, the desire that he's placed in my life to be holy as he is holy, he actually empowers that choice in me. So be holy for the one who has called you, and he says this, also be holy, look at this in verse 15, in all of your conduct. Now, what does that mean? If you do things with arguing and complaining, you're not holy. Because Paul says in the Philippians, do everything without arguing and complaining. Well, I tell you what, I just want to complain and argue. Then you're not being holy. You're positionally holy in Jesus. Practically, you're not surrendered to him, so therefore, you can argue and complain. Does God mean don't argue and complain? He absolutely means that. He's not joking or kidding. And he's the one that gives us the power to live a holy life, 
to speak things well of people, to say things that are positive. Because in our flesh, we would like to argue and complain. We would like to get somebody back for what they did to us. However, because God is holy and his holy life lives in me, he puts a restraint on me and I don't have to get somebody back for what they did to me. Some of you are here this morning and you're vengeful. You want somebody to pay for what they did to you. That's not holiness. Holiness is God didn't make you pay for what you did. He forgave you. He gave you grace. And you want somebody else to pay for what they did for you? No, sir. Be holy in all of your conduct. So there, if you're going to be holy in all of your conduct, the word holy means to be set apart with a single purpose. Pastor Matt talked about that last weekend. And the word holy also means to have a reverent fear of God. To realize that God is holy another. He is holy together. He is so set apart from anything that is not God because he is God and I'm not God and he's so set apart. And the word holy, when you're going to be holy in all of your conduct, it means that you and I set ourselves apart for God's use. But actually, we don't set ourselves aside. He does that. The way that you live holy in all of your conduct is you surrender to him and I surrender to him and then he sets us apart. See, you don't make a list of things that you're not going to do anymore or things that you're going to do now to be holy. You surrender to him and then he consecrates you. He separates you. So it's his surrender in our lives that he's looking for and then he gives us the power and separates us for holy living and sanctified living. And we actually have a healthy fear of who he is. Think about that. A reverent fear of God is, is honoring God and worshiping God and giving God all the glory. And so the truth is the revelation of Jesus is fearful. Think about this. Are you afraid of God? I hope you are. I want you to stay with me here. So if I reverence God and I fear God, I have a holy fear of God, it's kind of like I'm afraid of God. Here's, here's, the, here's the issue. It's like truth and consequences. The truth is Jesus is holy. The truth is he's holy in me. So therefore, I have a holy afraidness in my life to do anything that would taint his testimony in my life, or I would do anything that would taint my testimony to the world, because I want to live with a conduct and a manner of life that honors him. So you bet I have a holy afraidness of God. You bet God is omnipotent. He is, uh, is all-powerful. But I, as a person who's wanting to walk in holiness, I have a healthy fear of that power. And God is omniscient. He knows all things. So, yes, I have a holy afraidness of God because I fear anything that I would do in my life, in my mind, a thought, a word, or deed that would be outside of his will because he knows all things. So the truth of the revelation of Jesus is I have a reverent fear, and because I have that reverent fear, I am afraid of him. Not the consequences, because the consequences of my sin have been taken care of. I am afraid that if I dishonor him, that my life won't match up with the position that he's put me in. And practically, I'm going to send a message to the world that when I live in sin, listen carefully, when I live in sin and you live in sin, we send a message to the world that says God didn't mean what he said. Be holy. Don't live in sexual immorality. Oh, well, I'll just do it this one time. Or this one moment. Listen to me. 
then you're sending a a message to the world that God didn't mean what he said in his word. And you can't be positionally holy and practically living it out and dishonoring God's word. It's impossible. So here's what he's saying. I've no, you're no longer in a sin relationship, Freeman. I've saved you unto myself. I'm in, you're in a saving relationship with me. So fear me, honor me, be holy as I am holy. And then he says, I've called you into this. And be holy in all of your conduct. So every decision that you and I make, we ought to say, do I represent holiness in this moment right now? If you're at war with someone in your family, why don't you drop the sword? Why don't you ask God to do what only God can do through you? Because in your flesh, in verse 14, you want to go back and live that way. Jesus says, I've got a better way for you. Peter says, there's a better way to live. Live with clean hands in a pure heart. Turn to Psalm 24, 3 and 4 real quick. Kind of brings this point into being. Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Happy Thanksgiving to you. What are you having for lunch? Psalm 24, 3 and 4, this idea of holiness. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. This reveals God's standard, and it acknowledges God's standard. I can't meet God's standard in and of myself. God has to meet his own standard. So I'm reminded of the call. God has to produce that in me. So here's what you need to think about. Jesus has baked, if you've trusted him as your Savior, and you're living by faith and living in holiness, you positionally understand that Jesus has baked his life into you. Never to take his life out of you. Christ has come in the person of of Jesus, and he's come in the power of the Holy Spirit to live in you. And so there's nothing you can do to undo that decision. So what you have to do is realize that you've been baked into a relationship. The other day I went to a pizza place that many of you have recommended that I go to. So we ordered it on the app, and we went to pick it up, and the order was wrong. I'm not going to say the name of the place. Don't get me to say the name of the place. I'm not going to do that. But the order was wrong. But here's what I learned. They said, we're going to have to remake it. This is a good illustration. So they didn't start pulling the ingredients out of the dough or the cheese or what they put on it, the sausage, the hamburger. They didn't start pulling the ingredients off and say, now here's your new pizza. They had to remake the order because no scientist in the world, once you take the ingredients of a pizza dough, which would be yeast, flour, water, sugar, you can, once that has been mixed together and stirred together and put into an oven, it has been baked for eternity. You can't separate the ingredients. What I want you to understand is when Christ has baked his holy life into you, you can't undo that because salvation is not to be draped over us. It's to be lived and worked out of us. So Peter is telling us, Jesus has baked his life in you. If he has loved us into a position of holiness, it makes sense that I would live my life where he's loved me. I'm not perfect, but I should be predictable in my walk. So should you. Sagemont, we can come to life in many ways if we would live a holy life unto Jesus Christ and realize clean hands and a pure heart are pretty important. So Psalm says that, to have clean hands and a pure heart. But living holy before God is the combination of what's on the inside and what's on the outside. 
So clean hands on the outside, but a pure heart on the inside. It's not either or, and it's not both and. So the idea is, when we start thinking about living holy lives, we like to compare it to somebody else's life. We like to compare our lives to somebody else's life because it makes us look like we're pretty holy. Because you can pick who you want to compare your life to. But the person you're comparing your life to is not the standard. God's the standard. So what happens when people with dirty hands all get together and say, but I'm cleaner than you. You have a bunch of people with dirty hands and nobody's clean. If you're going to have a clean hands and a pure heart, it's got to come from the inside. God has to do a work of holiness and grace and mercy in your life. And then your hands on the outside can serve and conduct business because his power works in you. His power works in you. That's what he's saying here. Peter says, you're called to this. So look what he says here in verse 15, the end of it. Be holy in all of your conduct. God is holy. You be holy in all your conduct. Write this down. You can choose the choice, but you cannot choose the consequence. In your conduct. I wonder if we went to your place of business. If people would be surprised you were here today. I wonder if the people you work with would say, wait a minute. He doesn't have that kind of heart here at work. It's just a Sunday thing that you turn on. No, no, no. Christianity is not a Sunday thing you turn on. Worship is not a song that you flip on and sing here on Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And so if you're going to have clean hands and a pure heart, you've got to make the choice. You've got to choose the choice, but you can't choose the consequence. So if you're here this morning and you are considering living and walking and breathing in the will of God for your life, God's speaking his will to you through his word, then you can choose the choice today to live in holiness and make a decision practically that changes your conduct over here because of the decision that you made over here. So the idea would be if you make a right choice today, the blessing and the favor of God is over here on the other side because you can choose the choice, but you can't choose the consequence. But God says if you choose him, if you choose to honor him with your life, then the consequences of honoring him will be blessing. Doesn't mean you won't have difficulty or struggles in your life. But watch this. Some of you are here and you've made a bad choice and you didn't get to choose the consequences either. I have a friend who got saved in prison. He made a bad choice in order for him to get arrested and go to prison. He made a really good choice in prison to receive Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. But he chose the choice but he didn't choose the consequence because every time he went to look for a job, it came up on his record that he was a felon. You can choose the choice, but you can't choose the consequence. And I want you to hear me today. Some of you can make a right choice today. Some of you, like me, have made some really bad choices and we still sometimes live in the consequences of our choices because we don't choose that. 
We just choose the choice. I'm asking you this morning by the grace of God, would you, come, would you be willing to repent of your sin any time that we miss the mark, any time that we want to live in holiness, we come back and say, we repent and we say, God, we missed the mark. We did not follow you. We did not make the right choice. And God, by his grace and mercy, washes your hands and washes your heart and makes it pure. And you can walk out of this day free in your heart, but your consequences are still going to be there. Doesn't mean that God's going to wipe out the consequences. So let's make holy choices at Sagemont Church positionally because that's who we are in Jesus. But practically, when we make holy choices, the consequences are going to be that which God designs for us as we walk in his will. And in fact, as you walk in his will, you'll find out that he prepared that before the foundation of the world. So when you walk in the will of God by making a good choice, he prepared that before you got there. So when you got there and you're walking it, it's his blessing in your life. Hey, I got some consequences and scars in my life for bad choices that I've made. Listen, I am forgiven. I had a rough high school. Rough, bad choices, stupid decisions, but I made them. Nobody forced me. Consequences are there, but listen to me. The grace of God is big enough today to cover any bad choice you make because he loves you and he wants you to live in the fullness of who he is today. He can wash your heart clean. Somebody said, what are you doing up here? And I'd say, what are you doing here listening? Everybody's got some stuff, don't they? We all got places we've missed the mark. See, but we want to take the big things in holiness. Like, okay, the Bible says to um, be holy and not be in, living in sexual immorality. Okay, I got that. That's the big one. And people say, I'm not, I'm not doing that one. But in thought, in word, in action, and in deed, you're tipping the scales at 100 because you don't think that has anything to do with holiness. Let me tell you something. His whole life has everything to do with my whole life. And my whole life has everything to do with representing him. And I don't want to taint his testimony. I don't want to taint my testimony because it looks bad on him. And we think people, when we do things outside of God's word, they think God doesn't mean it. He didn't really say that. He didn't really mean that. And I want to tell you what, God means what he says. Because he's the one that sets the line. All right, here we go. Verse 16. Here's what he says. Because... Why would you do all this? Why would you live a life in a manner worthy of the calling? Why would your conduct match up in position with your practicality and your practice in your life? Because verse 16 says it is written. It's written in God's word. God's word says he is so set apart and holy. He is absolutely holy. His word is absolutely holy. He's absolutely pure. He's absolutely holy. It is written. It is written in this word that God has a plan for your life. Jesus Christ delivered his life for you so that you could understand that this is an invitation to intimacy. If you can understand that it is written for you, when's the last time you got a love letter? Some of you saved some love letters from high school, right? Every once in a while you open it up, don't you? Because somebody loved you. Let me tell you something. God loves you with an eternal, everlasting love. 40 human authors, 66 volumes, 1,200 something chapters, 33,000 verses in this book right here to communicate to you the invitation to intimacy. He wants to rescue you from sin and he wants to rescue you from yourself so you don't live in the flesh anymore. You live in the power of his holiness in your life. It is written. Have you ever gotten an invitation to something 
and it was kind of shabby, and it was kind of like not on really good paper or card, and it was just kind of blah. And you know what that's telling you? Don't go to the event. Because if people were really honest on the invitation, they would send a message and say, you should go ahead and eat before you come to this event because the food's really going to be bad. Really, this event is, um, it's less impactful in your life than what this card really says. You can tell a lot by the invitation. You can tell a lot how it's printed. You can tell a lot by the quality of the invitation because some of you should have said no to going to some things if better attention was paid to the invitation. Listen, this invitation right here is to have eternal fellowship with God the Father through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is written because he loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter what choices you've made, no matter what's happened in your life, he loves you. And he says this, it is written, verse 16, here's what he says again, be holy, look at the text. He's trying to get us to understand something. Be holy, for I am holy. This is the fourth time the word holy is used in four verses. To be holy as I am holy. How are you going to do that? Some of you are going to really try when you leave here to stop doing some things. And you're going to get so frustrated. You're going to get so frustrated because the call of God to be holy is not as you define holiness in your life. The call of God to be holy is as God defines it. And God says, I'm set apart. I'm distinct. I'm free from sin. I'm set apart to myself for my glory. The angels in heaven in Isaiah chapter 6 are around the throne with two wings. They're covering their face. With two wings, they're covering their feet. And with two, they're serving. And the reality of that is they can't even stand to look at his presence because he's so holy. And what happened to the angels and what God was trying to do in Isaiah chapter 6 in Isaiah's life was God was trying to remove the fog so, God, so Isaiah could see how holy God is. And I'm telling you, Sage Mind, God's trying to remove the fog in our life so that we'll acknowledge how holy he is. And when we see his holiness and we experience him, we bow in humility just like the angels. We cover ourselves and say we don't deserve it. It's by his grace that he has saved us. You don't need anybody to see you. You need him to see Christ. Be holy for I am holy. So don't redefine holiness as you think it is because you'll lower the bar of holiness. If you define holiness the way you want it to be, you'll, you'll lower the bar. And guess what? You'll be able to jump over that bar. And then you'll lower it some more in your dating life and you'll be able to jump over that bar. Then you'll lower it some more in your work life and you'll jump over that bar. Then you'll lower it some more in your marriage life and you'll be able to jump over it. Let me tell you something. The bar is so high. On our best day, you and I, can't keep it apart from the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Think about that. So I don't want you to leave here going, making all excuses and and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to make a list and I'm just going to try my best. That's the last thing God wants you to do is try your best. He wants you to understand that Christianity cannot be lived by you. Christianity can only be lived by Jesus. He's far better at living Christianity than you and I are. But here's what most people do. They lower the bar so that they can attain holiness by their standard. Listen carefully. You can't attain holiness by your standard. You can only attain holiness by His standard. And His standard is so, so high, far above. There's two things. He is God and you're not God. And so therefore, if I'm going to 
have the image of Christ bearing in my life, then I'm going to have to yield to the one that is perfectly pure and perfectly holy and has perfectly put his perfect power in my life so that now it is written, I can now be holy as God is holy because the only person that can be holy is Jesus and he lives in me. And Jesus lives a far better Christianity than Freeman Tomlin ever could on his best day. And the same is for you. Here's the point. Get Jesus in your heart. You'll find out your marriage is different. See, some of you have been battling in your marriage for years. And flesh has been flying all over the place. Why don't you bow before Jesus today and say, Jesus, you're totally pure. And you're totally holy. And you live in me. I can't talk to my spouse that way when you live in me. Oh, I can choose the choice, but I can't choose the consequence. Why don't we man up and own up and yield up and say, God, I surrender to you. I set myself apart from you. So only let me treat my wife as Christ loved the church. Let her submit only as Christ has submitted and given us the example of submission as he was equal to the Father. He willingly submitted to give his life. Think about that. How do you do this? Verse 13. Pastor talked about it. Verse 13, rest your hope, middle part, rest your hope fully on the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's by the grace of God that any of us can be what any of us ever wanted to be. It's only by the grace of God. Think about that. He loves you so much that he died for you in order that he could take our sins off of our list and off of our mind. And every time we cross the line and every time the line we thought moved and it didn't move, Jesus died and paid a one-time payment on a cross called Calvary so that I could live forever. And I can live in the holiness of God and the power of God because Jesus lives in me. You don't need a seminar. You don't need a conference. You need Christ. And I need Christ. And we need to get in his written word and say, God, we yield to you. I close with this. You may have heard this guy's name. It's Charles Plum. He was a U.S. Navy pilot, flew a jet fighter. And um, he had like 75 air missile attacks in combat. And one of these times, the enemy was shooting as he was flying, and he went down, and his parachute opened, and he ended in his life in enemy hands. He was there. He was living, but he was uh, in captive um, for six years in a communist Vietnamese prison. He later got out. But he shares this story himself, Charles Plum. He talks about how he was rescued. And he talks about how one day he was in a restaurant. And when he was in the restaurant, there was a man that came up to him and said, you're plum. He said, how did you know? That's right. How did you know? He said, because I packed your parachute. He said, I'm a sailor. And I was in the bowels of the ship with my white uniform and my trousers and my bib on the backside. And I packed your parachute. And I know that you're Plum, and, I, and now that I see you today, and Plum just was flabbergasted, and he stepped back and he said, oh, I just want to thank you so much. I want to thank you so much for packing my parachute, because if it wasn't for you and what you did down there, there's no way I would be alive today. And Plum thanked him, and he said, I guess what I did worked, and he kind of pumped his fist. 
And then Plum went home that night, and he went to sleep, and he couldn't sleep. Have you ever been there when God's wanting to do something, say something to you, and you've been up all night, and you've tried coffee, you've tried everything, but you're up all night? Well, Plum couldn't sleep, and he said, I thought about this. How many times did I pass by this sailor? How many times did I not say good morning to this sailor? Because I didn't know that this sailor was the one who was in the bows of the ship uh, folding the silk and folding the shrouds of my parachute. He was packing a parachute for someone whose fate he wouldn't know. And he said, how many times did I just pass him by, not even acknowledge his presence? I want to ask you something. How many times have you passed Jesus by and not even acknowledged his presence in your life? And he's packed your parachute. He's rescued us. He's provided everything and salvation for us. And we just acknowledge and pass him by. We go, yeah, God, we know you're holy. But practically, we just can't do this thing. Let me tell you what. You're exactly right. When you acknowledge that you can't do this thing, you've just said truth. Because you can't do it. But God never said you could. He always said he would. So the one who packed your parachute gives you the power to be holy and conduct your life in a way that draws people to him. By your behavior. You say, my behavior doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does. Your sin and my sin affects a lot of people. So as we live holy lives and we conduct our lives in a manner that's worthy of the call, just know that Jesus, I'm going to just tell you this, Jesus has packed my parachute. He has forgiven me of my sins. I am going to arrive safely at home one day. And when Christ shall come, as we sang in that song, when Christ shall come, when he comes, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come and get me. I'm ready because you have paid the price so I can go to heaven. But I'm just not going to heaven. I can live in heaven on my way to heaven by surrendering to Jesus. God's not through with me and he's not through with you. If you'll just bow before him. Has Jesus ever changed your life? Have you ever put your faith into him? I'm going to tell you what, until you recognize that he's totally holy, you'll think you can do something to get to him. I'm telling you, you can't do anything. Christianity is God reaching down to man, not man reaching up to God, giving him a list of things we can do to get into heaven. You've got to be bankrupt, you've got to be broken, and you've got to bow before him. And what a better day to do that than right here today. Would you be willing to put your faith into Jesus? Because he is holy, holy, holy. And when he comes into my life, because he is three times holy in Isaiah, it doesn't say he is mercy, 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 or he is grace, grace, grace. He is holy, holy, holy. Watch this. And because he is holy, when I receive by faith him into my life, then he puts holiness in me.